Jesus said in Matthew 28 verse 19, Go therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Welcome to Go Teach All Nations, bringing you Christ's teachings through Australian and international speakers. And here is today's presenter, Pastor Barent Neustraten. Book of Jonah, would you open your Bible please, the book of Jonah. Does anybody know what the name Jonah in Hebrew, Jonah, what it means? I never get an answer to that. And the title is absolutely pivotal to the story. What was the commission of Jonah? To Nineveh. Now we're going to talk about Nineveh. What happened in Nineveh? What happened? What did they do? Don't mumble. Come on. What did they do, the Ninevites? What happened at Nineveh? Oh, they repented. And that is the key word. And that is the title. Because can you repent of yourself? No. You need the Holy Spirit. When you think of a dove, what do you think of? And the Holy Spirit came down in the form of a dove. You'll find in the Gospels that magnificent day when Jesus was baptized. Marvelous. God sent His Spirit He sent a dove to Nineveh. Get the picture now? In your Bible, you'll find a qualification that Jonah was the son of... What's the name? Amitai. Amitai in Hebrew means... My truth. God sent the spirit of truth to Nineveh. Get the picture? Get a concordance. Look up the Strong's lexicon and you will find the Hebrew names will explain the very title. Now, he was sent to Nineveh. Let me explain a little bit about the political setting. Have you ever had anything very what shall I say, daunting, very, uh, what shall I say, almost overwhelming that you had to do. Something that you would really shrink back from, something that you would rather not do. You wish it wasn't you, but you have to do it. That's how the man Jonah felt. Now, whilst his name means dove, You could say in the case of Jonah, it was a tremendous misnomer as far as the person was concerned. How much did he care about the people of Nineveh? Absolutely, absolutely none. Nothing zilts. He couldn't care less. He couldn't care less about those people. Why did God take a prophet who had no love for the people 
And he said to him, you go there and you preach. Why did he do that? There's a very couple of interesting sides to this story. By the way, I'm going to do a couple of meetings in the city on that, on the book of Jonah. I love the book of Jonah. There's so many object lessons there. The Bible is a wonderful book. Voices from the past with a message for today. You've got to love the people that are not here. You've got to love Nineveh. You understand? Nineveh was a huge city. At the time, it was the most substantial, what shall I say, metropolis of the then known world. We know its population was at least 120,000. It could have been more. Which in a world population, somewhere between 5 and 10 million, would have been an enormous city. The Assyrians to the north were becoming a threatening power. And the prophet here has his residence in a place called Gath-Hefer in Israel. The ten tribes. The year approximately 790 B.C. About 790 B.C. Seven centuries later, seven decades later, those Assyrians are coming down in, in the northern ten tribes, Israel, the kingdom of Israel. They conquer Samaria and they disperse all the people there, all the Israelites, all those ten tribes, never to return to their homeland. Another two decades later, they besiege Jerusalem. They invade Judah. And then we have the marvelous story, as you find them in the book of Isaiah and Second Kings and Chronicles, where the Lord intervenes and saves Jerusalem from the Assyrian onslaught. And he sends one angel, and he kills how many of the Assyrians? 185,000, you weren't far off. 185,000 were killed. You know, if Nineveh, as it did repent, if they would have remained true to God, the one God they didn't know, the one God that Jonah had a message from, if only Jonah would have set up uh, some church plants. If only Jonah would have set up some outreach programs. If only Jonah would have set perhaps the schools of the prophets like Samuel. If only he had a heart and a love for the people and he would have explained to them, exposed to them the love of the God, the Hebrew God, the only God. They might have never invaded the ten northern tribes. It'd be still there. They would have never invaded Judah or besieged Jerusalem. And much of the cruelty that was perpetrated by the Assyrians might have never occurred. Can you see the significance that God sent a prophet 
to Nineveh that now becomes a world power, that now becomes a threat to all other nations. And they were very, very, very cruel. God said to Jonah, go to that wicked city because her sins have come up before me. In other words, they have expanded in their sinfulness, in their violence. Actually, I would say that that Nineveh would have been a city very much like the city that we have down here. People don't care about God. They were secular, they were violent, they were mischievous, vice. God said to Jonah, go and tell them. Go and tell them. If only, if only Jonah would have been driven by the love of fellow man. World history there in the Middle East might have been very different. So God sent Jonah not just for the sake of the Ninevites, he sends Jonah also for the sake of his children of Israel. You understand? Can you see that? Can you see the providence of God? So why then did he take a prophet, a recalcitrant prophet, a reluctant prophet, but for all intents and purposes, a very, very successful prophet? You will find in your Bible no more successful prophet than a prophet Jonah. Imagine if you went, you hit the street and... 40 days. Hey, what's 40 days in a lifetime? And for 40 days you give the message. And the whole city turns around. And do you know, do you know that archaeology has confirmed that at that time, round about 790 to 780 BC, there was a ruler there, a ruler there of the Assyrians, Adatnereri the third, actually, for a certain period of time, those Assyrians who were polytheistic, meaning many, many gods, they only had the one God. They did. They heeded the message of Jonah for a while, and then it sort of wore off. No follow-up, you see. No follow-up. Now, I've given you a little bit of the picture here, and so we just go through a few verses, if you don't mind. If you've got your Bible, there is you. God says to him, Go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. What does Jonah do? Verse 3. But Jonah arose to flee to where? Tarsus. Now, there are two Tarsuses in the, in the ancient world. One of them was in Cilicia, that is southern Turkey, but the one here definitely would have been the one all the way in Spain. Because he wanted to go away from the presence of the Lord. He wanted to go away from the commission that God had given him, and Tarsus in Cilicia would have been on the way to Nineveh. And he wanted to get as far as possible away from Nineveh. Here are the object lessons. When you know that God wants you to do, and we've all been there, you do the opposite. You become Jonah. You go exactly in the opposite direction. So he goes to a place called Joppa, which is today's Jaffa near Tel Aviv, there in Israel. 
because that's where they have a harbor. And he obviously looks for a ship. That's what it says here. He, he went down to Joppa, found a ship going to Tarsus. That's in Spain, which at the time was the other end of the world as far as the Jews were concerned. You couldn't go any further. And he said he paid the fare, went down to it, uh, to go with them to Tarsus from the what? Ah. Can you get away from the presence of the Lord? He should have known, shouldn't he? Isn't it silly how I can look back at my life and I've done the same thing? Trying to get away from the presence of the Lord. Silly, really. And so that's what he does. But the Lord sent out a great wind on the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship was about to be broken up. Now, here we have a tremendously interesting situation. Because in verse 5, the mariners were afraid, and every man cried out to his God. The word here is Elohim. The name Elohim can be used for other gods. And they have plenty of different gods, you understand. And they try to pray to them, but they pray to their gods, hoping that the gods may interfere in the weather. But God doesn't always do that. I didn't say he wasn't doing it today, I'm just saying he doesn't always do that. And so, note this. And they did what? They threw the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten the load. That's interesting. These are merchants. These are commercial people. Their business is the ship's business, is transport business. What do they do? That which was most valuable to them, other than their own life, they chuck it overboard, they throw it overboard, because life is dearer than goods, and so it is, isn't it? So they throw it overboard, they throw it overboard. Okay, we'll come back to that. And then we look at Jonah. What does Jonah do? You know, sometimes in the Bible, now often in the Bible, a particular prophet, a particular prophet personifies the church. It does. There's quite a few examples in the Bible. Old and New Testament. The church that walks away from the commission of God falls asleep. They do. They do. I, do you agree with that? Oh, they do. Absolutely. They fall asleep. And here he is, here he is, he is down in the, went down to the boat, and he had fallen asleep. He got used to the idea of being disobedient to the commission that God had given him. Oh, he believes in God. I dare say he would keep a seventh-day Sabbath. I would dare say that he does all the other things. But he walked away from the commission of God. And he fell asleep. That's it. There's an object lesson. So the captain, verse 6, came to him and said to him, What do you mean, sleeper? Arise, call on your God, whoever he is. Perhaps your God, whoever that God is, will consider us so we may not perish. You see, when the waters get rough, when we get in trouble, we what? We pray. Yeah. When it's good weather, nice weather, 
maybe tomorrow. And they said to one and another, verse 7, Come, let us cast lots that we may know for whose cause this trouble has come upon us. They believe that the culprit that has angered the gods must be on board of this ship, their ship, and they are all about to perish. Get the picture? So they cast lots, they, and you guessed it already, they cast lots and it fell on who? On the dove, Jonah. Who could have, before they cast at the lot, could have said, look, it's my fault. But he does an Eichen here. Remember Eichen? No? Well, they get Jericho and then they go to the little city of Ai and they get absolutely beaten by the little army of Ai, the Israelites, that is. And there's a reason. They have an Eichen in the camp, a traitor who has disobeyed God, don't take anything from Jericho. No, nothing. Achan had disobeyed. Greed got the better of him. You read that story. You read that story. Okay, now. Achan waited until the Lord fell on him. And then he confessed. Hmm? And Jonah did exactly the same thing. We're all Jonah sometimes, aren't we? I can identify with Jonah. I frankly confess that. Then, verse 8, they said to him, Please tell us for whose cause is this trouble upon us? What is your occupation? What do you do for a living? Where do you come from? What nationality are you, in other words? What is your country? And of what, are, of what people are you? They now want to know about him. He has kept it very hidden. There he is, a prophet of God. There he is, the prophet of God. He comes on board, and you wouldn't know you had a prophet on board. Do your neighbors know who you are? Well, start talking to your neighbors. They fall under your commission. They are your neighbors. Yeah, there you are. There's another object lesson. And so, and so he says then in verse 9, I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven. Now that word Lord here is the tetragrammaton. That is Yavah, as the Hebrews foul it today. We don't know how you really pronounce it because the name was too holy for hundreds of years to pronounce. And so, therefore, the knowledge as to how you pronounce the personal name of God was lost. And even the Mesorites couldn't tell. Now, here we have the personal name of God, the closest word to the Hebrew verb, the present tense of to be. Can you imagine your language without the verb to be, is, are? You don't have that in the Hebrew. And the mindset is that there is only one entity that really is, that is really self-existent, and that's the holy name of God. Can you see that? The covenant self-existing God, Yavah. The holy name, personal name of God. You can use all the other names that the Bible has of God, you know, uh, 
to other gods, but this name is a personal name. And so it was a very holy name, a very specific name. I fear the Lord, he did. Did he fear the Lord? Oh, absolutely. Did he serve him, though? It's not the same thing, isn't it? You can fear God and not serve him. Is that true? Many Christians are like that, really. Who made the sea and dry land. He's giving a, a first angel's message. Fear God for the hour of his. Well, there's a judgment, all right, that you should have seen the storm. They were about to die. They saw that as a judgment. Fear God who has made the heavens and the earth and all that. Is. There you have. You have a first angel's message here. And it goes down very well. They accept it, by the way. Then the man, verse 10, were exceedingly afraid and said to him, Why have you done this? They now know it is his fault. It is Jonah's fault. Why have you done this? For the man knew, notice, that he fled from the presence of the Lord because he what? He had told them. Now you've got to understand something here. They have thrown their cargo overboard. Would they have continued their journey to Tarsus in Spain? Without cargo? What for? They would have, after the storm, landed at the nearest port, nearest to Nineveh. They would have gotten off the boat. And what would they have done? Well, they had a tremendous... Firstly, they had to explain why they didn't have the cargo. Maybe they tried to claim insurance, and I'll bet the insurance company would have refused because this was an act of God, and this time they were right. They would have had a tremendous, powerful story to tell about this Hebrew prophet that was on board their ship, the tremendous storm. They were just about, just about losing their life. And as we know, once they threw the culprit overboard, immediately the storm ceased. What a message! What a message, the verification that the God of this prophet, never mind the prophet, the God of this prophet controls the weather. The God of this prophet controls the elements. Now that's a powerful story. I'll bet you that that story got to Nineveh before Jonah did. As we will see, it is indeed most likely that that ship docked at the nearest port, the men got off the boat, counting their blessings to be alive, spreading that tremendous story of Jonah, or the God of Jonah, whilst Jonah was somewhere else having a whale of a time, you might say. It is remarkable, isn't it? Can you see what God is doing here? He is using a prophet who says no. Did God know that Jonah would say no? Oh, yes, he did. Did God know that Jonah would run away? He didn't just stay home. He wanted to get away from God. Did God know that? Did God know that he was going to go be on board of a boat? Yes. Now, there you have it. 
There you have it. Providence. Marvelous, really. Now let's continue here. And so, it goes on here in verse 12. And he said to them, pick me up and throw me into the sea. Oh, now verse 11. Then they said to him, what shall we do to you that the sea may be calm for us? For the sea was growing more tempestuous. Things were looking terrible. And he said to them, Jonah, pick me up, throw me into the sea, then the sea will be calm for you, for I know that this great tempest is because of me. Now, why didn't Jonah, believing that he was the cause, why didn't he volunteer and say, I'll take a dip? I'll jump overboard. He says, you have to throw me overboard. The onus is on these pagan people to throw him to remove the evil from amongst them. And it's still true today, isn't it? Now, before we start throwing people overboard, I want you to have a look here. Nevertheless, verse 13... The men rode hard to return to land, but they could not, for the sea continued to grow more tempestuous against them. What did the men do? Did they believe Jonah? Yes, they would have. They would have. Jonah said, it's because of me. Why don't you throw me overboard? How much did Jonah care about the pagans, about the Ninevites and the mob that he was on board with? How much did he care about them? How much did they care about Jonah? They had more feeling. They had more. They had a higher moral standing than the Church of God when it comes to treat your neighbor as yourself. There's a lot of people out there with very good morals just because they don't come in here. You understand that? Never sit in judgment on the people out there. Never talk about them as if they don't make the grade. These guys are looking, these were commercial people, they're looking pretty good, aren't they? Well, they look better than the church because Jonah had done never. Now, nevertheless, the men wrote as hard as they could. Verse 14, therefore they cried out to the Lord. Now, notice, who are they praying to now? Yuvah. Before they were praying to Elohim, which could be other gods. Now they are praying to the personal God of Jonah. Did they believe his story? Yes, they did. Marvelous, isn't it? Marvelous. Now they're praying to God. For the first time, they are praying to the God of the Hebrews. Wonderful. And so it says here, they cried out. It was a fervent prayer. They did not want to throw him over. They did not want to kill him. They cried out to the Lord, and we pray, O Lord, please do not let us perish for this man's life, and do not charge us with innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done it as it pleased you. They recognized the hand of God. 
they did. Pagans. They saw God. They saw his action in that history of that moment. They recognized the hand of God. Marvelous, really. And then they pray because life must be precious to this God that they may not be charged with innocent blood. What a prayer. Pagans. So they picked up Jonah, threw him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. An instant reply to their prayers, to their faith, to their beliefs. And that must have been so powerful in the mind of the people. How is it that non-church or non-members, if you like, can see God clearer than we often do. It's true, isn't it? It's a very humbling, a very sobering thought. Verse 16, Then the man feared the Lord, Yahweh, the personal God of the Hebrews, exceedingly and offered, note this, a sacrifice to the Lord, and did what? Well, this is, that's nice. Now, let me, why is this so good? Why is this so good? When you were in trouble, whenever that was, when you were biting your nails, perhaps, whatever your experience was, maybe it just was before the exam, I don't know. What did you do? You prayed, didn't you? I, for many years ago, had my exams. Invariably, before my exams, I would pray. If you let me pass, I'll go to church regularly. If this particular problem, if you remove this from me, I'll put more in the collection bag, up the tithing or something. Deals with God, we've all done it. I said, we've all done it. Don't say yes, you don't have to. This is not a confessional, but we've all done it. These guys are so good. They made a sacrifice and gave vows after things had come good. What would you say they were? They were grateful. That's the word. That's the key word. There's something about this. Um, I'm doing fine. A few more minutes. Okay. Let me tell you something about the book of Jonah, how good it is. In every Jewish synagogue, at the Yom Kippur, Yom Kippur, or the Yom HaKippurim, as it really is called, which is the most solemn day, the Day of Atonement. Which is the most solemn day. That wasn't me, was it? Which is, which is the most solemn day in the Jewish religious calendar. They read out in the original Hebrew, they read out the book of Jonah, the whole book. It's not only small. They read out the whole book. You know why? There is one word in the Hebrew that covers it. 
That one word goes to the very heart of the Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. And that one word is Teshuvah. Teshuvah is the capacity to repent and therefore receive forgiveness. And they know it. They know it. If ever you go to a service on the Yom Kippur in the synagogue, you want to sit there and observe the people. You know how sometimes in church people don't like each other. They take exceptions, they have fights, they have arguments, bitterness, resentment. On the Yom Kippur, you must, you must settle that. If you want to be forgiven, you must forgive. Remember Jesus teaching that? Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive Not because we have forgiven them, no, because we forgive. The Spirit of God, when He is in you, leads you to repentance, but that same Spirit will cause you to forgive. If you don't forgive, you have not repented. That's the message. And the Jews know that. And so every Yom Kippur, they read that book of Jonah. Because the Day of Atonement... The, the Day of Atonement will be a curse to you. It could never be a blessing to you unless that Spirit of God comes inside you. Did you know that? So here you have the object lessons. Now the wonderful thing here, and we haven't got time to go through the other chapters, but I love this one. Verse 17, last verse of chapter 1. Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah. Now we always say a whale, and then you have people say, no, a whale is, is a whale a fish? No, it's a mammal. So maybe it was a big shark. But we know that Jonah played inside the big fish. I don't know of any instances that anybody ever would have prayed once they were inside the shark. Once you're inside the shark, you're dead. Right, okay. In the taxonomy of the ancient people, a whale was a fish, you understand. That's the vision that we have about mammals, that's just recent. Now, it had to be because of the oxygen. But now, and I'm out of time pretty well. Now, not many of you, none of us would have had this experience. But if ever there must be, the Bible teaches that to be inside a whale is a very humbling experience. Don't believe the Bible, you ought to try it sometime. And so there we have a man, the lights go out. There's only the decoration of the seaweeds. The only comfort, the gastric juices, of course, of the whale, which might have led to deep pigmentation. There have been incidents of that. And can you imagine his appearance as he would walk into Nineveh? It might have added stature to his message. Hmm. I dare say, walking for a few weeks, he would have washed himself a few times. I'd, I'd like to think so. But this is the picture. The wind obey God. 
The pagans fear him, obey him. There's a big veil. I don't know how far he had to come. He obeys. He's there at the right time. Like a submarine. He was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. That doesn't mean 72 hours. That could have been a portion of the first day, a full day, a portion of the next day. Hebrew inclusive reckoning. You understand? All right. There's another statement which I like. In verse 10, chapter 2, So the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. How is that for service? That's good. When God takes care of you, when he saves you, I don't want to be irreverent, but God has a wonderful touch, a very nice touch to how he does things. He didn't even have to swim onto dry land. Marvelous. And then he goes to Nineveh. The message that he preaches there, and you would know it, and and as I said, we're out of time. The message that he preaches there (coughs) is not a message about a wonderful, loving, caring God that he knows. It is not about, it it certainly wasn't in Jonah. He, by the way, obeys the second time. So would you if you were Jonah. And so he goes then to Nineveh, and the message that he gives to Jonah is short and sweet. Forty days, and all hell will break loose. And these pagan people repent. Why would they listen to a nerd, a, a, a prophet of a people barely known, a God they didn't know? I dare say they heard the story of the mariners about that massive storm. There might have been something in the appearance of Jonah qualifying his short-term residency inside the whale. Might it be that someone witnessed the whale chucking him up on dry land? The rest is the Spirit of God. And they repented. And then Jonah gets outside the city. He sets himself on a hill waiting to watch God taking care of this lot. Isn't that amazing? If only, if only Jonah had repented. If only the church of God would repent. A mighty word would find place. That is your homework. This is your task as you walk out of here. Forgive others as you have been forgiven. Right? Teshuvah. Without it, your name will not be retained in the book of life. Take that message home because it is true, it is scriptural. You've got to love the people out there because they are the property of God. And as to how you deal with the property of God, it will be a reflection as to how you truly are relating to God himself, yourself. True? Get the message? Get the message. There's a Nineveh out there. We have a commission. Today they're baptizing people that came out of Nineveh. 
And, and I, I would have liked to have been there, I also wanted to be here. And you can't be in two places, if you know what I mean. But when you see the Spirit of God working in people, in Nineveh, and yes, I would have loved to have seen 120,000 people there being at the beach. Sure. Our commission is to call them out of Babylon. Isn't that true? We better have do that work. Can I impress upon your mind that people are out there? We have to call them. We have to reach them. Because if God doesn't... If we don't do God's will... What will happen to those people? The book of Jonah, by the way, finishes with a question. Your homework is to consider that question. To consider that question. May God bless you. May what was spoken this morning somehow, I can only do so much, but may the Spirit go way beyond it and burden you with the burden of Nineveh. And may you discharge it so differently as did Jonah of old. May God bless you. This message was made available by the Wallara Seventh-day Adventist Church. For more resources like this, visit wallarachurch.org. That's Wallara, W-O-O-L-L-A-H-R-A, church.org. i
once I rejected to pursue my selfish end. And I confess I need you to revive me with selfishness behind me and take up my cross. Casey Butler, and I'm here today to share with you some personal experiences that I've had with God. Have you ever heard of stories where people who have not grown up in a Christian environment come to the point in their life where they question, is God real? Is he out there? Does he care about me personally? I've heard a number of stories like that. People just get to the point where they feel a void in their life and they long for for something more they are convinced there must be something greater and so they 
they question is God real and they start seeking after God and many of them find him. I've also heard of a number of stories too where people who have grown up in a Christian environment where they know all about God, they've learnt so much as of in their, their childhood stories about Jesus and, and many different experiences, they also come to the point where they question, is God real? Does he care about me personally? I was one of those people. I grew up in a, a Christian environment and um, went to church every week for as long as I can remember. And I studied the Bible every day and prayed and did all of those devotional kind of things. And yet I came to the point in my life where I asked that very question, is God real? Does he care about me personally? I wanted an experience that wasn't just head knowledge because I've grown up understanding and knowing so much about God and yet it just seemed like something was missing in my heart. I just felt something was was not right. I, I wanted to know that God was real, that his love for me was 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 personal and, and went right to my heart. And I didn't have that. So I prayed. I began praying to God for a deeper experience. I, I prayed that he would that he would show me Jesus, that he would give me an appreciation of his love for me. And he answered my prayer in some interesting ways. One of the most significant situations that happened to me was I was unexpectedly, I guess, sort of thrown into a difficult circumstance and I couldn't control it. I had nothing that I could do in the situation to control it except for pray. And so immediately I began praying just in my head, in my thoughts, just asking God for very specific things to help me in that particular situation. And what was astonishing to me was right before my very eyes, God answered every detail of the prayer that I prayed in my mind. I hadn't spoken it out loud or anything. And I was just blown away. In fact, I, I pondered that God had answered every detail like that right before my eyes, right in that instant of need for months. It just got right to my, my heart that who am I that God would even recognize every thought and go about answering it. And I knew that in order for him to answer those, the things that I'd asked for, he had to send angels from heaven um, and he had to just work in the circumstances I was in in a powerful way to be able to accomplish what I'd asked for just in the spur of the moment and in my need. So I, I just for months was thinking, why me, Lord? <laughs> why did you do that for me? Like, yeah, that just, that really did something in me. But there was more that God did in my life. Like I, that was one experience. But during this time where I was, I was seeking to know if God's real, I had some other experiences as well. And one of them was I was out in the garden, um, actually in uh, the orchard that is at our home. And I was pondering Christ's sacrifice for me. And I was really struggling to appreciate it. I could 
Like I knew it all in theory, but and I was thinking about it, but it just didn't seem like it. I appreciated it in my heart, and I was trying hard to appreciate it. I was praying to God, wanting to to understand what He, you know, what He'd done for me, and, and have it mean something deeper. And as I walked, I was walking back up to the house, and I came across just in the particular path that I went. At my feet was a red and black feather, and as soon as I saw it, I just I just picked it up quickly, and I was just amazed, immediately amazed, because this feather was the tail feather of a glossy black cockatoo. It's a cockatoo that we have here in New South Wales, uh, in Australia, and it. Um, it's a sort of a threatened species. So to be able to find a feather from this this bird that was, you know, all black with a, a patch of red in it was just like so rare. And um, I, I'm a bit of a bird watcher. I like to see wild birds, native birds, and um, identify them and keep a list, a record of all the different species that I've seen. So I knew as soon as I saw this feather that it was something special. And as soon as I saw it, I, it just, it touched me. I thought, wow, because in light of what I had just been thinking about, I had been thinking about Christ's sacrifice for me. And here, this feather, it was, you know, black with red. And to me, it was saying, God was saying to me, my my blood, the blood of my sacrifice, symbolized by the red color of the feather, was on top of the black on the feather, which is like Christ's blood covers my blackness, the blackness of my sin and, and the evil in my heart. And that, just the fact that God used the feather and that showed me that he knew my interests, he knew my passions, he knew what I loved and enjoyed about nature and life. The fact that he used that at that moment, that got deep in my heart too. And I realized that, wow, God knows me. He cares for me. He knows my struggles. He knows how I'm seeking him and what I'm wanting to know about him and how, and how I'm wanting to know he is real. So God responded um, in that way. Because when I was walking back up to the house, I could have walked like two meters across from the actual direction that I took and I probably would have missed the feather altogether but the fact that I happened to walk directly in the path of where that feather was it was just amazing to me so that was another experience that oh, I pondered and, and treasured for a while because it it really said something to me spiritually about God and you know as I've had experiences like this and God has answered my prayers. He has helped me know that He is real. He has worked in real ways in my life that's just an experience that's meaningful between me and God. I have realized and began to appreciate deep in my heart that God is real and that He cares about me personally. And since I've had those experiences, my walk with God has been filled with a lot more peace because I've had an experience that was not just all head knowledge, it's gone right to my heart. And this has given me a lot more confidence in God 
And it's interesting, you know, there there are Bible writers also who've had similar experiences like this where they just realize how much God knows them and how real he is. And I want to read from Psalm 139 because this expresses this thought. This is a Psalm of David. And he says this, O Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. Thou knowest my downsitting and my uprising. Thou understandest my thought afar off. Thou compassest my path and my lying down and art acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word in my tongue, but lo, O Lord, thou knowest it altogether. Thou hast beset me behind and before and laid thine hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high, I cannot attain unto it. Whither shall I go from thy spirit, or whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me, and thy right hand shall hold me. So here David is expressing this very thing that God, he knows all about him, what he's doing, where he is, and he cannot flee from God's presence. And this just shows how much God knows and cares for us individually, personally. He knows where we are. And I pray that wherever you are today, wherever you are in your connection with God, you may be seeking for a deeper experience with God. You may be seeking to know that he is real in your life. You may have grown up knowing God. You may have grown up not knowing anything about God, but you may be still in that position of wondering, is God real? So I am here to say that I have found in my life God is real. And I know that when we seek him with all our heart, we will find him and he will make himself known to us. So it is my prayer for you today that God will work in your life and that you will know that he is real and that he loves you and cares for you personally. God bless you. It's been our pleasure bringing you this program today here on 3ABN Australia Radio.